welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together, we are the Anxiety Sisters. Hello, Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to our show. Today's guest is someone we really admire, both for his dedication to mental health advocacy and for his honest conversation about living with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and depression. We met Gabe Howard when we were guests on his award-winning weekly podcast, Inside Mental Health, and we've been hoping to get him on our show ever since, and here he finally is to help us kick off season six of The Spin Cycle, author, speaker, podcaster, and fellow Buckeye. Hi, Gabe. Hey, hey, I'm so excited to be here. Also, I'm like the loudest person in the room now. And if I'm not, it's because you fixed it in post. There, there, there's, <laughs> if I am not blowing your eardrums out, you need to write Abby and Maggie right now and be like, hey, thank you for isolating his track and turning down his volume. <laughs> we like when people overpower us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can overpower Abby. I'm not sure, Gabe. Challenge Fair accepted. Point. <laughs> it's on. It is Gabe, oh, that's it's the, that's the, the red hair. It's the, it red, the red hair. hair. All of my energy is redhead energy. Do you mm. want to know something? This is a true story. I was once told by anesthesiologists at Emory University that redheads are the most difficult to anesthetize. So we <laughs> always start by asking our guests to share their mental health journeys and your first memory of having issues with mental health or anxiety, whatever it was. In your case, I know you talk a lot about bipolar, so. It's, it's, it's sort of- so difficult to isolate the first memory, right? Yeah. Because it's all hindsight. At the time that they were happening, I attributed them to everything else. Uh, since it's an anxiety podcast, the, the very first panic attack I ever had, I did not know it was a panic attack and wouldn't figure out that these were panic attacks for another decade, uh, yeah. maybe even longer. I thought they were hunger pains. Whenever my, my heart started beating really fast and I, I'd get that knot in my stomach and I'd start to sweat, I, I thought that it was, oh, I haven't eaten. I've overexerted myself. I must have low blood sugar. This is all stuff I made up. I don't know why I believed these things to be true, but every single panic attack was followed up by, I must eat because I need it. So naturally I weighed, you know, well over 500 pounds before I figured out any of this because my solution to a severe anxiety disorder and of course bipolar disorder was, well, I would just eat because it's hunger. When do you think your symptoms of bipolar first started to show up and how did they show up? The very first symptom I ever had, and and it's, this is not what people tend to think of as a symptom, but I thought about suicide as far back as I can remember. And, and, and in the interest of time, yes, that means at five years old, I have clear memories of thinking about killing myself. I thought that was normal. Like, I, I want to be like very, very clear, like, oh my God, you're five years old and contemplating life or death. Why didn't anybody help you? Well, because I didn't tell anybody. And the reason I didn't tell anybody is because I didn't think there was anything to tell. 
there, there's all kinds of things you're doing at five that you don't, you know, run up, you know, mommy, mommy, I wiped. I, I mean, it just, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. I, I just thought it was like that. I knew that other people weren't talking about it, but I thought it fell on the category of things that we just didn't talk about. Mm. Right. I hear you. When I was five years old, I was tapping the tires of our family car, each tire before we would get in the car, because that was my obsessive compulsive disorder showing up, but I didn't know that's what it was. I felt that I had to keep it a secret that I was doing this. Something told me that, but I attributed it to all other things other than anxiety, because I didn't know. So I get it. We don't have good background. We don't have good mental health education, but more importantly, the people around us don't have good mental health education. I, I, I always say that my family was stereotypically blue collar and, and that, that's not to, to be mean to them in any way. It's just, they didn't go to college. They didn't take a psychology course. We believed what was on television. And one of the big things that we believed is that mental health issues and mental illness was somehow the result of something that quite frankly, your mother did right? It was always mom's fault. And my story is not going to zag to the left at any point where I tell you that my mom was a horrible person because she wasn't. She was a good mom and she was a stay at home mom and she was an active mom. And my dad, he worked, he had a good job. We were stable, right? So all of these things were like, look, you've got a stable life and you got a good mom. You're just an asshole. And that was sort of the message that persisted in my life. They were behavioral problems. We mm. chalked up every single symptom of anxiety and bipolar disorder. And of course, the bipolar disorder has symptoms like depression and mania. Anytime these things would come out, it was a behavior issue. And I sort of understand it. I mean, yeah. What did know, that look like when you were younger, when you were like a kid or a, or a young teen? What did that look like, the mania or the depression? See, here's the thing that, that really screwed my parents, if I can just be frank, <laughs> right? People always ask it like, like, what were your parents observing? Oh, I was a know-it-all. I had grandiosity. I, I, I talked a mile a minute. I wanted to be the center of attention because that never, ever has described a teenager in the history of ever. Or I would become solemn, right? I, I hide in my room. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Anytime mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or brother or sister or friend would say anything to me, I'd respond with, well, I hate it. And I hate you. And I hate this. And I don't want anything. And I'd be better off dead. Yeah. Never in the history of time has any teenager said this. And let's look at mania. I'd stay up for days at a time, right? And then I'd crash and want to sleep for days at a time. Never has a teenager stayed up all night and wanted to sleep all day. And then finally, with bipolar disorder, it's a spectrum disorder, right? Everybody thinks of bipolar disorder as, well, it's extreme highs and extreme lows. That is true. It has the extreme highs, that's your mania, and it has the extreme lows, and that's your depression. But it's also back and forth on that spectrum, which means you will be in the middle, right? And the middle is the stereotypical, the normal, the, the average. That's when your parents observe you being good, right? That's, mm -hmm. what, that's when you make the club. That's when you get good grades. That's when you do all of your chores. That's when you follow all of the rules. So the next time I would be symptomatic, they're like, look, we know you can do it. We know you can be good. And why do they think this? Because they've seen it. I, I thought that I was a problem. And, and that's where it's sad. Okay. I believed the people around me who said, look, you're just bad. You're just being bad. I believe them. But here's my, here's my question. So before you were a teenager, when you were like five, six, seven, eight, did you have outward symptoms then like as a child? Cause you said you were always thinking about suicide. So I'm just curious. 
My mother said that ever since I was born, she always described me as her Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde child, mm -hmm. which when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I was like, mom, that's, that's literally an analogy for bipolar disorder. Uh, she always said that I ran hot and cold. Again, another analogy for bipolar disorder. She said that she held her breath a lot because you didn't know which Gabe you were going to get. And she said that this was pretty much since the age that I started talking, which was two years old. I, I, I started talking very young uh, and I've never stopped really. I've just <laughs> never stopped. Uh, it, she just, you didn't know. She would always say, sometimes we got sweet Gabe. Sometimes we got angry Gabe. Sometimes we got ridiculous Gabe. And it just, just nobody new. The reality is, is we all know the buttons, right? The, the, the things that we can press to hurt people, to manipulate people. We all know those buttons because that's what being close with somebody means. The reason that we don't press them is because we love the other person. We have self-control. I had no self-control. So I knew the buttons and I started pressing them, which hurt my mother immensely. It hurt my father immensely. And it, of course, they just, again, chalk that up to a behavioral problem. Honestly, I don't know why my parents stuck around. I, I wanted to leave me and I was me. Wow. So when were you first diagnosed? 26. Like, isn't that brutal? It took 26 years of everything that I just described before anyone figured out there was a problem. We Can I see your 26 years and raise you 41? Wow. I was diagnosed with OCD at 46 years old. It's like, I, I, looking back, me and my entire family, we just feel so incredibly stupid. It was so obvious there was something wrong. And yet, know. Gabe, don't you know from, from all of your advocacy, you know that our generation particularly had this experience. So many of us, whether we were suffering from anxiety disorders or depression or bipolar or whatever it was, people didn't know. And I think that that's a real running theme for a lot of folks our age. I think that's one nice thing is that for the younger generation, at least the conversation is out there. There's some vocabulary being bandied about, which is much better than it used to be because, you know, it, it, it does astound us constantly how many of our guests have that same story where they were suffering from a very early age and no one seemed to understand it or perceived it as behavioral and acted on it as if it were a behavioral issue. And that, that theme is so common, especially with, with our generation. Although I, I still believe that as much vocabulary is out there, I speak to people all the time who say stuff to me about their kids who I know, oh, this kid either is not neurotypical or has a learning disability or has anxiety or depression and the parents are still treating it as behavioral. I don't know in people's lives how much that's changed unless someone says, oh, I'm depressed. I just don't know that parents you know, it's very hard to pick up stuff on your own children, I think. And even then, Maggie, let, let's talk about depressed. When your family comes to visit, right? And, and then, you know, over Christmas and then it's over and they leave and you've got that sinking feeling. You're like, I'm going to miss them. Like this was a great week. Christmas is over. You're dragging the Christmas tree out. You're taking down the decorations. You've got that sinking feeling. That is depression. 
Same with it's anxiety, just, feelings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Being anxious is normal. Hey, you've got to give a speech in front of a thousand people. And if you screw it up, you lose your job and we sell your house. Oh my God, I have butterflies in my stomach, right? You don't have an anxiety disorder. You're nervous, right? right. And that's called anxious. That's called anxiety. But there's also anxiety disorders, panic attacks. These are a whole nother level. We just lump everything together. And, and I think this is the problem. Even if I had come to somebody and said, I'm depressed, they would have been like, okay, you know, did, did a girl break up with you? Did you not get in the club? Did you get in a fight with your best friend? And these would be reasonable things because all the quote unquote stereotypical and or normal children who walked up to their mom and dad and said, I'm depressed. They actually mean they're bored. They, they actually mean that something bad happened and, and bad meaning normal bad, right? Not, not like catastrophic bad, right? Then people would act. It's just, there's just things in life that are depressing. You know, yeah. like when you graduate from school and you find out that you're going to spend 40 hours in a cubicle for the rest of your life, that's depressing, but it's not <laughs> major depressive disorder, <laughs> right? The, so the, there's, I, I know this is a lot to unpack and I, I hope people understand that I just, I, I kind of wish that we would rename major depressive disorder, but it's just our language to discuss this is so incomplete, starting with mental health. We lump everything together. Severe schizophrenia where you don't know who you are, you think Elvis is chasing you and, and you see elephants attacking Elvis who's chasing you and, uh, and grief, like after a loved one dies, are both considered mental health. There is a world of difference between grief and severe schizophrenia. And for some reason, they're all lumped into the same category. And I wanna be clear, I'm a contributor to that. The name of my podcast is Inside Mental Health, and we cover everything from the anxiety sisters who we had on to how to be happy, to marriage therapy, to biomarkers and schizophrenia, to managing hallucinations, to getting help for your loved ones. It's all lumped together because... Uh, that's the best we have right now, mm -hmm. but it, it really needs to be improved. Could you imagine if we just had a category called physical health and Ugh. it covered everything from headaches to terminal cancer, all physical health. Ugh. Mags and I are really careful about language. My background is actually as a communication researcher. So we're really careful when we talk about anxiety in terms of the anxiety we're speaking of, we often call it brain disorder because we want people to know we're talking about when it can interrupt the functioning in your life, when it's something that's located in your brain that you could see on an MRI. We want to obviously give it legitimacy, but also distinguish it from normal, regular human anxiety, normal, regular human depression, normal, regular human grief or sadness. In other words, we, we often say we all have all these emotions and they're all human. And so, we want people to have these emotions, right? Because have no anxiety, Gabe, you'd never get off the couch. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Been there, done that. But still, <laughs> you know, we do need some adrenaline to get us Absolutely. to do stuff. So, so we do have to distinguish between normal human anxiety and the stuff that cripples us and keeps us from being able to live full lives. And everything that happened around me was through a lens. So if, if Maggie and Abby were screaming at me to shut up because I was awful, mania would twist that into the two of you or my groupie saying, go Gabe, go Gabe, go Gabe. <laughs> and you're thinking, how on earth could that happen? Yeah, it, it's, this is how serious it is. You're, you're not seeing reality because your brain is just making slight changes right i can hear the noise that the two of you are making while you're screaming i hate you but the the looks on your face of anger are just slowly glossed over in my brain so that i 
it, it just rewires it as happiness. And, and that's scary, but I, I, I don't want to go the other way where I'm just monotonous, where I have no emotions whatsoever. Yeah. I just, look, there's a ton of memes out there. There's like, in order to appreciate the sunrise, you need the sunset, or in order to appreciate a, a sunny day, you need a cloudy day. But as much as I'm mocking, it's true. It really is true. You ever had like five awful days in a row? The, the, You're the talking to the anxiety and depression sisters, Gabe. We've had lots of five awful days in a row. Yes. Yeah. And then there's the good day, right? And it feels so much better, right? It's like being really, really thirsty and getting that water. The water tastes exactly the same, but somehow better. Mm. Just better. I've always said that when I go through my depressive episodes, I don't see colors very well. Everything gets much like the, it gets less, I can't explain, it's less shiny somehow. Right. It, it doesn't look like real red. It looks very dull, you know? And, but then I know that the depression is starting to lift when colors come back. And it feels, you know, I almost feel high when I see the colors again. So I think a lot of people can relate to what you're saying. So, I know that there's bipolar one and bipolar two, and I'm hearing a lot of people being diagnosed with bipolar two lately, like in the last few years. And I was just wondering if you could explain the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two, because a lot of people are getting those diagnoses. The primary difference between bipolar one and bipolar two, and, and arguably the only difference is the height of mania. Two stops at hypomania, and one goes all the way to full-blown mania. Hypomania is it you, you're, you're manic, you're, you're talking a mile a minute, you have these grandiose thoughts, but you still have a lot of control. So remember the example that I used earlier where I said that Maggie and Abby are screaming, I hate you, but mania twists it around and convinces me that you're actually my groupies and cheer and we love Gabe, we love Gabe. Hypomania doesn't quite have that power. When you started screaming, I hate you, I'd be like, oh, you're killing my buzz, I don't need you, if I was hypomanic. If I was manic, I'd be like, yeah, they love me, right? So those are the primary differences. Uh, people who are bipolar two don't hit mania. Once you hit mania, you're bipolar one. Many, many people romanticize it. Many people end that with, I love hypomania. That's how I got my promotion. And I always say to those people, you know, you got your promotion because you're really good at your job. Like you're really smart and you worked hard. Why are you giving bipolar disorder credit for your accomplishments? It's not an empowering statement to say, hey, I have a serious and persistent mental illness and it's given me a bunch of good stuff. So glad you brought that up, Gabe, because I want to read, if it's okay with you, a couple of paragraphs from an article you wrote for the Elephant Journal. It's also in your fabulous book called Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. And it is really, it's, it's funny, but also really instructive and really honest. I learned so much about not only bipolar disorder, but about suicidal thoughts and about parenting someone with suicidal thoughts and with bipolar disorder and anxiety and depression. It's just, it's a great book, a great read, but I, I highlight, you know, I'm a highlighter. So I highlighted a, a, a piece that I would like to read with your permission. You of course have my permission. Okay, here it is. A good thing coming from a bad situation is not a benefit. I have never been one to stand by and say the benefit of a child dying is that the parents will have more free time and disposable income. While that statement may be true, let's not put a positive spin on something so tragic. Bipolar disorder is the same way. The disorder does not cause happiness, it prevents it. 
people with any mental illness need to take credit for success because they earned it. That perseverance is a testament to who we are as people. Our illnesses didn't gift us anything. I love that. I really do. That's just a taste, folks. Go and get this book. I love that because I, I think that sometimes we do talk about our illnesses that way. Sometimes we do like give our illnesses credit for things that really they don't deserve credit for, that we really deserve the credit for. And so I, I think that's like a really incredibly interesting statement. Like I know, Abby, sometimes you'll say like, oh, because I have OCD, the good part of that is I'm super organized. And then it's like, you realize, no, you're just super organized. It's not your OCD. And even, and even if it is my OCD, there's so much crap that comes with it. It's not a free pass to organization. People I, say stuff like that to me all the time. Okay. All right. They're so like, oh, you'd have no on. podcast if you weren't mentally ill. And I'm like, yeah, I would just be happy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I got a podcast, I guess. So that's, that's great. My parents wouldn't be traumatized. But you're right. I have a podcast. I get, look, life goes on. People are resilient. We make do. I'm not happier because I have anxiety. It's like I could have accomplished a lot of other things in my life that I really would have wanted to accomplish. And we steer exactly. and we steer away from from having people say that their mental illness is a superpower because oh, that's very that is a I, very didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get rid of the underwear on the outside and the cape. I'm Captain Damn. OCD. Able to leap an even number of buildings in a single bound. Well, as long as the buildings are the same size. Exactly. I always struggle with this, of course, because putting a positive spin on something negative, that, that is a sign of resiliency. It's, it's a sign of moving forward. It's making it work in your own brain to move forward. And I don't want to tell anybody that's like, look, I was straddled with this, this God awful thing. And this works for me calling it a superpower, calling it my secret, whatever this works for me. And in this way, Gabe Howard personally is like, you go, you do you. But Gabe Howard, the advocate is like, this is, this is dangerous. It's, well, it's an unfair pressure for some folks. For a lot of folks. And this is what that piece I just read from your book. It, this is yeah. what it illustrates. And we love this is that your superpower is how you persevere in spite of your mental illness. It's what you choose to do with the cards you've got. Right. Exactly. Instead of throwing them all in the air and saying, you know, screw it, I'm done. We're saying, all right, what can I do to manage this and help other people do the same? But, you know, I distinguish that from a superpower. I think your superpower is the fact that you were given such shitty cards and you were able to win the hand anyway. The original article. Mental illness is an asshole. The one that the book is named after, it, it really personifies mental illness as a person. And that person is an asshole. And we talk about how, you know, assholes manipulate and they do stuff and we stay on guard for them. We know who they are. Sometimes we have to keep these people in our lives because they're coworkers or they're our boss or they're family or whatever, but we're aware of them. And we stay on guard for them so that we can set the right boundaries and coexist within this framework that we are stuck with. That's how most of us deal with assholes that we cannot cut out of our lives. Mental illness is an asshole that we can't cut out of our lives. So if we treat the illness exactly how we would treat an asshole that we can't get rid of, I believe that we are better. Gabe does a ton of public speaking and he has this very popular podcast. And so what are some of the most common questions you get about this whole subject of, you know, brain illness. I get a lot of questions about what's mania like, 
because mania is so romanticized in in pop culture right it, it's it's always super super awesome I, I get a lot of questions about why don't people just take their medicine and and get well like it's magic right like just you just walk into a doctor and the doctor's like here's a pill and suddenly you're better Anyone who's ever said that has never tried a mental health medication. (laughs) Anybody who's ever tried that has never tried a medication. Aspirin doesn't work this way. If we're all honest with ourselves, the very first time we got a headache, and we were probably 12 if we're being honest, the very first time we got a headache, we're like, I have a headache. And whoever was standing closest to us handed us whatever pain reliever they like. For many of us, that pain reliever didn't work or didn't work as well. And eventually through the years, we, we tried all the different ones, right? Because there's, there's four or five over-the-counter headache medications. And then we found the one that works. We're like, hey, if I take one extra strength X, that knocks out my headache for the entire day. But as sure as you're sitting there, somebody across the table is like, no, 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 no. I take regular strength Y. Here's the thing, they're both right. And they they discovered that by trying different medications. So if, if that's how a headache works, that's a, that, could you imagine if for some reason you could treat serious and persistent mental illness easier than common aches and pains? No, that's just nonsense. But people believe it. They believe it. You talk about how our culture, particularly the media, often gets it wrong when it comes to mental illness. So much so, I think that it's hard for people who aren't sufferers to really understand the experience because their only experience is what they see on television or in the movies or in cartoons or whatever. I know that people always want to know about OCD. So like, do you wash your hands like all the time? You know, they're always asking me and I'm like, yeah, I like to wash my hands as much as anyone, you know, with OCD. Wait, you have OCD? Aren't you a detective? Doesn't everybody that have OCD just make incredible police officers and detectives because you see all the clues? That's my night job. I knew it. I knew it. You can always tell what movie they're referring to when they ask you, do you alphabetize your soup cans? So I'd like to hear your thoughts about, especially with bipolar, how the media portrays how, and our culture, how, how we often are misinformed because of what's out there, the messages. I don't think that they ever get it right. And and here's why I say that, because if you meet somebody with bipolar disorder, you've met one person with bipolar disorder. So first you have the illness, right? And the, the illness has some commonalities, right? Let, let's take OCD because you just mentioned it, Abby. If there's a room full of a hundred people with OCD, some, some, some commonalities are going to occur. But for example, you said, do you alphabetize your soup cans? Well, you recognize that not every single person with OCD one alphabetizes their soup cans. That's the first thing. So we've already started to differentiate away from the, the pop culture thing that we saw. But, but two, let, let's talk about something for a moment. Not everybody eats soup. So therefore, not everybody has soup cans. So it's quite possible that, that, that Maggie doesn't alphabetize her soup cans simply because Maggie doesn't have any soup cans. Uh, Or it's possible that that's just not a symptom of her OCD or a presentation of her OCD. This is where it gets so complicated merging the disorder with personality, with culture, with with lifestyle, with age, with on and on and on. Because listen, eventually we're all going to eat soup because we're going to lose our teeth. And then maybe we'll start alphabetizing them. So when we talk about how the media gets it wrong, there's no nuance in media. And and listen, there's no nuance in anything in pop culture. 
right? I, I want to be very, very clear that pop culture and the media is not picking on people with mental illness. While this is stigmatizing and does create discrimination, they do this with everything. All police officers are exactly the same in pop culture. All firefighters are exactly the same in pop culture. You ever seen a computer tech? Every computer tech is nerdy. Listen, I worked in IT for years. There are attractive people in IT. There are <laughs> married people in IT. They're not all socially awkward, sitting behind their computer screen, looking all creepy. All, all right. There's, there's all walks of life, but right. It's, it, it does cause problems, but I, I want people to get this idea out of their mind that, that Hollywood and the and media is just sitting around stereotyping us out of malice. They of stereotype everyone. Not. Of course not. Of course. Well, it does also, cause problems. We need to stop it. But well, it's, it's that, it, it creates as... that one size fits all mentality. That's awfully hard to to diffuse. Maggie and I spend the bulk of our time in front of people trying to get them to understand that one size doesn't fit all. In fact, one size may not fit the same person two days in a row. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, we haven't even touched on that. You know, I, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 26 years old right? I, I reached recovery at approximately 30. I'm now 45. So let's just talk about the recovery years. The way that Gabe Howard managed bipolar disorder, felt about bipolar disorder, and the symptoms of bipolar disorder were significantly different at 30 than they are at 45. Mm -hmm. for, for one thing, my body is aging. People ask me, hey, did the medicine cause sexual side effects at 30? No, I found great medication, no sexual side effects. Identical medication 15 years later, sexual side effects. Because, you know, just let's talk Frank. The, the pills were taking 10% of my libido off the top, but I had more libido to spare when I was 30. When I turned <laughs> We all did, Gabe. Yeah. We all did. Right. So <laughs> even though I have done nothing different, I have not changed anything. It, it, it started to impact me. Right. And, and uh, let's also talk about this, right? I do not have high blood pressure, but I hear this from people with bipolar disorder all the time. They're like, look, I've been stable on this medication for 20 years. And I'm like, what's the problem? I have high blood pressure now. Okay. What's the problem? The treatment for high blood pressure and the medication that has kept me stable and sane and healthy and happy and productive for the last 20 years. I cannot have them both. Mm. So do I want to be mentally healthy and have high blood pressure? Or do I want to be physically healthy and risk a relapse of bipolar disorder? These are the realities for people that I don't think people talk about. So Maggie, back to the original question of what are some questions that I get asked all the time? They're like, hey, why don't people just take their meds? I believe I've given three or four examples yes. of where it's really complicated. And I think these are, are good examples that people can really relate to and understand whether or not they have mental illness. And I haven't even scratched the no. surface. I'm going to give another one. Some people can't afford it, right? The medications are expensive. I could do this all day. In fact, I do do this all day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gabe, you know what it also brings up to me um, is, you know, from my years as a social worker, working with people from many, many different cultures, I would often see that, that someone would be asked a question and, it was so much from the perspective of a Western doctor, Western culture. And the questions sometimes didn't even make sense for, for someone from another culture. The practitioner really has to know the right questions to ask, you know, and, and that takes a lot of skill and a lot of experience. 
And so a lot of times, like even with behavioral problems, we know that young black children, especially young black boys are diagnosed with behavioral problems where a young white child who comes from a middle or to upper middle class family is diagnosed with autism, you know, same child or diagnosed same with symptoms, ADHD. same child, say just different zip yeah. code. The, different there's, zip code. It's sad, but study after study shows that your zip code determines your ability to access care and the type of care that you would get. And, and that's just, that's just ridiculous. And people fight me on this. They always fight me on this. And they're like, that's not true. That's not true. And I was like, have you ever heard of good schools? Like the concept of, hey, we moved to a neighborhood with good schools. And they're like, yeah, I live in a neighborhood with good schools. Right. So in order for there to be good schools, then there must by definition be bad schools. So you recognize that we as a society have determined that some schools are allowed to suck and we will send kids there and we're all okay with it. But you don't think we're doing the same thing for healthcare? So mm. much, so, so much truth there. And it's so it's infuriating and heartbreaking in the same moment. Yes. It gets me crazy <laughs> it does, because it does. our and system is so deeply flawed and so badly broken and privileges only one type of person usually. So we could literally sit and talk to you all day, all night into tomorrow, because you're just, you're our kind of people. Before we let you go though, Tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast. It's such a fantastic podcast. I have to tell you, I listen, it's one of the few that I really listen to regularly because you have such great guests and you are, you are so brilliant in your interviewing. And just, just tell our, our, our peeps a little bit about your podcast because they're going to want to listen to it. Oh, thank you so much. Sincerely. So first off, we had the Anxiety Sisters on it. So you already know that we only have top tier guests. Well, I can mean, we come back? Because like, I didn't do a good job on that. No, you did a fantastic <laughs> I did. job. I'd like to come back. You did okay. a wonderful job. Wonderful job. But it's called Inside Mental Health and it's available on your favorite podcast player or you can go over to psychcentral.com slash show if you're one of these people that likes to listen on the web. But here's the genesis of the podcast all things mental health, mental illness, and psychology. It, it really became a catch-all. It was started six years ago. And, and I know that the podcasts have, have you know, they, they've diverged since I started mine, right? Like now there's an anxiety podcast and there's schizophrenia podcast and there's bipolar podcast. But way back when, when I started it, it's like, basically it was mental health or bust. There, there was just not the audience or listeners or buy-in to have a whole podcast on anxiety seven years ago. So we, we started Inside Mental Health so that we had a place for all things mental health. We had Alanis Morissette on it and, and she talked about, you know, being pegged as angry and a hostile and a mean woman because of one song. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down Isn't to. Isn't that she ironic? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> the, I mean, you ought to know was a great breakup song and everybody in, in the right age and right generation is, is literally singing it right now. But if you really look at her body of work, it's why on earth is she the angry woman? She has like one and a half angry songs. The rest of them, like you said, ironic is a really cheerful song. And then we have doctors talking about the, the, the latest biomarkers for schizophrenia, the latest treatment for bipolar disorder. Obviously we had the anxiety sisters on there talking about diagnosing, managing, and getting resources for anxiety and literally everything in between. They're about a half an hour long. So they're, they're literally designed to be foundational knowledge, bite-sized, listen to it, get some information, and then head out to psychcentral.com or healthline.com and grab more information. 
We've been chatting with Gabe Howard, host of the immensely popular podcast, Inside Mental Health, author of the book, Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as too many fantastic articles to count. Thank you, Gabe, so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule to chat with us. We are really grateful for your work, for your perspective, for your honesty, and for your sense of humor. Thanks for being on the show. Also, guys, Gabe's adorable, if anyone. (laughs) Don't tell them that. We have enough competition as it is. I know he's adorable. He is. You can listen to two podcasts, Anxiety Sisters and Inside Mental Health. Let's be super fair. If you go to GabeHoward.com, you can buy my book and I'll sign it and I'll throw in swag. We have announcements, Mags. We really have announcements. It's so exciting. I know. We have a few announcements. We have a list of announcements. Yes. yes. So do you want to tell them about our first one, the best one? Yeah, yeah. Because it's so exciting. We are doing a retreat, a weekend with the Anxiety Sisters in Chester, Connecticut, which is just a gorgeous part of Connecticut. And we're doing this on December 1st through 4th. So that's actually a Thursday night. Am I correct? Yes. Thursday night to Sunday lunchtime. And we have not been able to do this since before the pandemic. So we are super excited about getting back together again. The, The retreats are the most fun thing that we do. Yes, since before times. We haven't done one since before times, as I like to say. We started to think we might never, ever get to do one again, but it's happening. We're super excited. We've already got some folks signed up. So if you're interested, go to our website, anxietysisters.com. It's right on the very top of the homepage. You can click for more information. Or if you want to PM us on Facebook or send us an email to anxietysisters at gmail.com, then any of those ways or any way you want to reach us, really. Our next announcement is that our free monthly webinars are back. It's the fall, so we are back again. Check our website events page for dates. It's always going to be on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on Facebook Live, and we take questions at the end, and we try to pick a topic that everybody's talking about, so hopefully that will be intriguing to you. Okay, and then we are launching a new monthly podcast episode to go along with the two that we already do. We're now doing a third one. And it's gonna be called Stories from the Sisterhood in which we chat with folks from our community about living with anxiety and other brain disorders. So if you are interested in participating, please send us an email or PM us on Facebook. You don't have to use your real name, only your real experience. And if you have a story to share about living with mental illness, then please, please get in touch with us because we wanna share as many stories as we can. And lastly, if you are looking for a super supportive group of anxiety sufferers, come check out our Facebook community. It's free and it's really such a kind, warm, supportive place to hang out and lurk. You will definitely find like-minded folks on Facebook. So come join us. You know, in honor of season six, I think we're going to stop trying to get this right, Mags. I think we should just practice acceptance and say that we're really not able to say this at the same time. Right. That's what we've come to after five seasons. Is that what you think? Okay, sure. So I'm going to go ahead and let you just say that on your own. Okay. Ring it out in your proud, loud voice. Okay. So just please remember, anxiety sisters, don't go it alone. Do you want to try it? You're probably better at, at it than I am. Come no on. way. You did perfect. Uh. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.